Hello listeners, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to a special edition of Cloud Ninefin. Special because for the very first time, we're recording this episode at our New York headquarters. I'm Will Cager-Smith, and today I'm joined by Roberta Goss, head of CLOs and bank loans at Pretium Partners. Welcome, Roberta, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Will. Uh, Excited to be here. And we're delighted to have you on the show. So I want to start off by talking about how resilient credit has been to the volatility and equities so far this year. And I suppose it's important to put the recent drawdown in perspective and point out that, for example, the S&P 500 is still up 40% from the start of 2020 and up about 15% since this time last year. And who knows what those figures will look like by the end of this week. But I do want to ask how much longer credit can hang in there if we continue to see the kind of volatility and downward movement in stocks that we saw last week. Right. Um, So as you said, um, equities year to date, the S&P 500 down about 7% through the end of January. Um, And that's, uh, you know, with a backdrop of uh, very strong performance last year. Um, High yield with the rate move we've seen uh, over the last several weeks, um, also down, but not uh, to the same magnitude, down around 3%. uh, But leverage loans um, through yesterday on a price basis were flat for the month um, with total return of around 35 basis points. I think the real uh, thing to... Uh, think about is that last year with equities up in the 23% range, high yield and leverage loans returned uh, between five and five and a half percent. So we didn't have um, the excess returns that we did last year. I think in this uh, this year, we certainly are not immune from uh, sharp drop in in equity markets. Um, and uh, I think, you know, over the course of 2022, we should expect more uh, periods of volatility than we have over the last couple of years, certainly as we're going through um, a transition in rates, a transition in um, the unwind of QE. Um, and how do loans fit uh, within that context? Um, you know, historically, they have uh, been a lot less volatile as an asset class, but not immune. Um, and so we do expect more periods of volatility this year, and uh, we would look to take advantage of those um, uh, to purchase and accumulate, accumulate assets um, throughout the year. So as you just said, loans are not immune, but they're also an extremely popular asset class right now, kind of for the main reason that equities have been so volatile, which is the expected rise in interest rates. Do you think this kind of mass migration of capital into loan funds that we've seen so far this year is part of the reason that loan trading levels have held up so well? Uh, I would say uh, it has to a degree. So in the last two weeks, we've had two record inflows into CLO 
or sorry, into loan mutual funds. Um, last week it was uh, just over two billion dollars, and the week before that, uh, it was uh, in excess of two and a quarter billion dollars. Those are uh, by a factor of fifty percent uh, greater than the single greatest uh, inflow we've seen into loans. Um, in the history of the asset class. Um, what I think is really going on is that you're seeing a shift from the high yield bond market, almost dollar for dollar into the loan asset class. And that is, uh, you know, driven, I believe, almost exclusively by the expectation of uh rates going up. And how does your outlook on loans change when you think about some of the other factors influencing the market? Like, for example, supply chain disruption or rising inflation or even geopolitical factors like the situation on the Ukrainian border, for example. So what the the key driver of uh, performance for credit and the loan asset class specifically is uh, uh, earnings growth, uh, which we still think is uh, robust in in the context of, you know, a strong U.S. economy that um, uh, with uh, fundamentally good and growing, you know, GDP numbers, um, the supply chain issues and inflation uh are hitting companies in specific sectors uh, on the gross margin line. Uh, what we're very focused on is ensuring that the companies we're invested in have the capital structure flexibility, the liquidity um, to ensure that they can address any working capital uh, needs that arise as a result of these uh, supply chain shocks or inflationary impact flowing through uh, in terms of uh, corporate profits. That all being said, we are in a um, a great environment for credit as a result of um, you know the fact that last year we were close to zero in terms of default rates. Uh, we expect uh, over the next 12 to 24 months to be uh, nowhere near the historic averages of defaults, so still very low default rate environment. And uh, the spread, uh, credit spreads continue to be very attractive uh, in, in the context of historic levels. Um, so we're in a bit of a Goldilocks environment for credit, but loans specifically, and we expect that to uh, to remain over the course of the next year or so. Okay, so the outlook is pretty rosy right now, but let's say the kind of volatility and downward trend we saw in equities last week becomes a more sort of permanent feature of markets this year. What can you do as a loan investor to adapt to that? So what uh, we do at Predium in terms of the portfolios that we manage, um, and these are predominantly CLO uh, portfolios and CLO structures that we 
that we manage. Um, we're invested uh, exclusively in uh, loans. These are senior secured uh, products. Uh, we manage uh, fairly defensive uh, portfolios, and we would look to take advantage of um, uh, any pockets of volatility we see to uh, really take advantage and move uh, slightly more aggressively into new names or um, uh, you know new sectors uh, that we're currently not invested in. We think that uh, you know we're managing portfolios and making investments for the next you know three five years, um, and we're trying to buy and invest in companies. Uh, that are going to be sustained throughout that time horizon. But over the course of uh, the next year, as we see, you know, any any potential contagion from uh, more volatility in equities as it comes through to loans, um, you know, we have a lot of dry powder that we can uh, utilize to take advantage of that. So in that scenario, are there any particular areas you see potential opportunities in? Well, as we've seen in equities over the last several weeks, the, you know, this really began with uh, the technology sector, right? And uh, largely a function of uh, potential slowing in, in, you know, growth from the top line perspective and uh, concern around overall enterprise valuations um, in in technology specifically. Um, the technology sector is a fairly large universe within within loans. Um, it represents uh, about 13 percent of the overall uh, index. Um, we think that uh, most technology companies within uh, within loans are very well covered. Um, most loans, even the most levered within within this universe, are on the order of six to seven times levered. Uh, we think that you know Nasdaq valuations. Um, are well north of that into the teens. Um, but at points in time, we think that uh, over the course of this year, as we see equity volatility, it will probably come in some of the riskier sectors, um, but also the more levered uh, single Bs, so B2s or B3s. Um, and we think that uh, over time, as we see pockets of volatility, the ability to go down into some of these uh, situations uh, will be will be quite attractive. And just going back to tech, do you think it's fair to say that one of the main risks for credit investors here is that so many of these tech firms were underwritten on the basis of pretty high growth and that if that growth doesn't materialize, there's going to be some need to sort of right size their debt structure? Well, I think there are really two parts to uh, the technology sector that uh, we look at. One is uh, new technologies, predominantly software businesses, 
um, that are, uh, you know, growing on the order of high single digits, low double digits, and um, have either through organic growth and in some cases through M&A, um, able to sustain uh, fairly levered capital structures um, and of performing very well. The areas that we're staying away from are where you have uh, legacy businesses that are seeing uh, top line, not uh, dramatic declines, but erosion on the order of one to 2% a year as uh, new software businesses come in uh, to replace or augment what we call the melting ice cube. Um, Those are situations uh, that certainly shouldn't be on the order of six times, seven times levered. Um, In some cases, uh, you know, leverage in the two to three times area is appropriate as they tend to generate a lot of free cash flow um, and can use that to uh, pay down debt over time. Uh, But specifically, you're looking, um, we're looking specifically for situations where uh, you're seeing organic growth in the high, high single, low double digits. And, uh, you know, you need, uh, you know, not all tech companies are the same and not all tech companies are levered um, in the same manner. Uh, So you really need, uh, you need to pick and choose your spots um, within within technology or within any uh, within any industry that we're investing in. Okay. So the leverage is too high is a pretty evergreen complaint amongst some buy-siders looking at new issuance, especially LBOs. And kind of for that reason, it's it feels like it's sometimes easy to dismiss. It's like the boy who cried wolf. So when you're looking at your portfolio and discussing deals at credit committee, what are the times that you truly get worried about excessive leverage? Yes. So um, we have a situation that we looked at last week um, and it's a, uh, a credit that's been uh, in the markets for you know, over a decade. Um, it's a public company, Bausch Health. Um, it's in the midst of a large transition. This is a business that has uh, been in the headlines, you know, as I said, for over a decade now, and is in the sort of last phases, I think, of its transformation. And uh, last week, a new loan came to market. Uh, the business is currently um, about to spin out and IPO uh, its eye care business, the um, Bausch & Loam business, which is a very attractive um, set of assets. Um, and the question is, uh, the new loan is going to be to uh, the legacy pharma business, which in our mind is a fairly concentrated um, pool of pharma assets um, with the potential and a very mature set of um, pharma assets. 
that we think could come under pressure over the next year to two years um, as some of these patents uh, come under threat. Um, the legacy health business, in our mind, uh, could uh, could be excessively levered uh, out of the blocks, uh, but certainly as uh, the uh, certain drugs and and uh, uh, segments of the business um, have the potential to decline over the next twelve to twenty four months, leaving you know total debt. Uh, you know, well in excess of what we would be comfortable with and probably fairly close to what we view the enterprise value of uh, the the legacy pharma business uh, to be. And so that's a situation where, you know, we've known this business for a long time. We've historically been invested in this business. Uh, we took great comfort from uh, the asset value of the eye care business, Bausch and Loam, um, and we think that continues to be a, a very attractive uh, uh, brand and uh, cash flow generator. Uh, but without that asset, we were not comfortable with um, uh, the the pharma business on its own, and uh, and felt that the leverage was. Uh, has the potential to be excessive um, as uh, the next year progresses with uh, with the two separate businesses spun out. That deal had a bond component too. And it's interesting that some other recent issuers that did refis or LBO financings with both bonds and loans were able to massively upsize the loan portion and shrink the bonds. And that partly reflects the exodus of money from high yield funds into loan funds. So given that backdrop, do you see any risks to seeing more companies with loan-heavy capital structures? Uh, so over the course of the last uh, couple of years with you know, record CLO issuance and appetite for loans uh, being very robust, um, we have seen uh, more companies desire uh, to issue uh, senior secured floating rate uh, loans. Um, it is generally, uh, a lower, uh, cost of debt for, uh, for companies, uh, because it is, uh, secured, it's senior, it's at the top of the capital structure relative to high yield, uh, which is normally unsecured and, uh, within a capital structure sits beneath loans, um, we think that uh, management teams and and LBO sponsors like the uh, the optionality that they have from uh, bank debt, which is a callable, generally callable uh, piece of paper, uh, so that it um, provides uh, a degree of flexibility within within a capital structure. Um, over time, uh, I think, you know, some situations, uh, in particular, some loan only, uh, capital structures, uh, which may be, uh, a little more excessively levered, um, you're likely to see, uh, you know, 
situations where uh, returns or uh, you'll see more volatility around these situations um, and companies. But, you know, that's where, uh, you know, you have to have a fairly robust team of credit analysts that are picking um, uh, the best of those situations um, and trying to avoid uh, those that uh, you believe are excessively levered. Um, and there are plenty of opportunities to choose from. Um, so uh, I think we'll continue to see uh, more loans in capital structures, but you've got to, you know, over the next several years, it's going to be uh, more about individual credit selection. Um, and uh, I think that's where relative to performance is going to come in. Right. And to that point about credit selection, one of the other perennial complaints we hear from buy-siders, and this was a common theme even before last year's record issuance, I should I should add, is that these days there are just so many deals to sort through that it becomes a real challenge to do solid credit work. How do you deal with that kind of fire hose of, of new issuance? Yes. So I've recently gone through um, an analysis of uh, new deal issuance for um, loans in 2021 and how that compared to the prior year. So our team at Predium looked at um, approximately 1,100 uh, new issue transactions in 2021. And that is up almost threefold from uh, the year prior. Um, that being said, uh, our hit rate on uh, percentages uh, last year was down quite substantially. So um, we acquired or participated in uh, approximately 27% of all new issue last year. Um, and uh, that compares to 40% the year before. Um, what I think is important is uh, that you have to, you know, you've got to have a very broad and deep bench of credit analysts. This is no longer uh, a, a universe. And I think people say, you know, you can't do this with two men and a Bloomberg. Um, you need a really deep bench. You need the resources. Uh, you need structuring teams. Um, so not all uh, investment managers that are investing in this asset class are the same. That being said, you need to uh, know what you're not going to buy and you need to make those decisions very quickly. Um, I think it's also important to not be afraid to pass on something that you're just not comfortable with. Um, and if the, the market, and I think um, in October, uh, you know, there was one week where 40 transactions allocated in the course of a week, you really need to uh, pick your spots, ensure that your team is comfortable with the risk that we're putting on and not be afraid to pass on things because inevitably you will have another opportunity in particular with a week like that to uh, invest in those situations in this in the secondary at a more attractive price. So I want to pivot briefly to talk about M&A within the loan investor base, 
because there's a couple of notable CLO managers up for sale right now. And I'm curious to know what you make of that. Um, so I think that uh, a, a couple of the platforms that um, are up for sale, uh, they're actually uh, fairly large uh, businesses that one has been um, really developed over the last five, six years, um, and another that's you know been decades um, in in the making. Um, in both cases, uh, I believe it's a motivation of the seller. Um, perhaps it's you know a function of uh, the strength in in multiples right now. Uh, but these are businesses that require a lot of um, equity capital to support them. Um, and uh, I think we'll continue to see uh, potential uh, consolidation over the next couple of years. Um, I think that uh, these two cases are very unique and very different in terms of uh, the motivation behind both. Uh, I think on the other hand, we're seeing a number of new entrants come into the market. Um, and I think that's a function of uh, the fact that CLOs as an asset class um, is now the largest securitized market um, out there. And it is uh, a mainstay um, that's, you know, survived, not only survived, but proven itself repeatedly um, to uh, perform well, regardless of, you know, whether it was the GFC, um, COVID specifically, CLO structures have worked um, and uh, returns have been um, very strong through both, uh, through both time uh, periods. Um, so I think that uh, we're going to continue to see new entrants. Um, we're going to th- continue to see allocators and new allocators to the asset class. Um, and I think uh, M&A uh, is, uh, is good for, for CLOs. Um, and I expect to see more of it. There was a bit of consternation in the loan market last year when Liz Warren's Stop Wall Street Looting Bill was reintroduced to Congress, and it included a, a proposal to reinstate risk retention on CLO managers. And most of the bill was generally seen as so kind of extreme that it was a bit of a stunt more than anything. But there was some speculation that maybe the risk retention piece of it could be removed and bolted on to some other piece of legislation. If risk retention did come back, do you think it would be a problem for the CLO market? Uh, when risk retention um, was about to be uh, brought into place, uh, most CLO managers uh, were able to and successfully raised, uh, you know, dedicated capital for their own issuance um, after it was repealed. Uh, you know, it's expected that, uh, you know, as a manager, you'll have uh, some um, skin in the game in transactions that you bring to market. Um, and that's uh, generally in the form of, um, you know, 
third-party capital that you've brought in uh, to participate in your transactions. I think, um, and this goes to you know how you can be successful as a CLO manager and grow. Um, you need access to uh, you know CLO equity as well as um, you know a strong uh, you know following from debt investors. Um, I think that uh, you know any sort of reversal of the current situation in in risk retention, most CLO managers um, would be able to adapt, ourselves included, um, very easily. Okay, so an optimistic note there seems like a good place to wrap things up. Roberta, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks for joining us on Cloud9Fin and make sure you check back in for more US-focused content soon.